0: Welcome to Overdue. <laughs> this is a podcast about the books that you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig.
1: My name is Andrew. What do you, what, did you get an invite to a high school reunion?
0: I got one on Facebook, okay? okay. Now, I don't know if any of my friends on Facebook who I went to high school with listen to Overdue. I don't want to put them on blast, but there are very few of them that I'm still in contact with on sure. a regular basis, right? Yeah. And I get a Facebook message, like an invite, to a reunion next weekend. I got this like two days ago.
1: Isn't that a little late anyway? Like aren't they usually in the spring or the summer and now we're like deep into fall?
0: Yeah, a little bit. A little, that's a little weird and it's on Thanksgiving weekend. Yeah, okay.
1: Did somebody get drunk and do this? Is that what this is?
0: Uh, maybe, and it's like a Facebook invite. Like, come on, that seems—that's. I, I mean, that's
1: funny because Facebook has totally obviated the need for high school reunions. Precisely. Like, you don't—you don't go to a high school reunion to like become friends with these people who you've mostly forgotten. You like go to find out, like, okay, who married who, who's pregnant, who's been pregnant, who got chubby, like all these noble <laughs> no. pursuits maybe you want to find out who's doing well
0: maybe you want to be like hey who got who like got super ripped like i'm just
1: i'm thinking of my own high school experience mostly where these people were terrible too neutral to me for most of my okay (laughs) for most of my school career and like i was glad to leave them behind and not look back that's been that's my perspective
0: so if you received an invitation to your ten year anniversary, you're not going.
1: Oh, I would go, but I would like wear a cool suit and rent a <laughs> convertible and like drive up and be like, Hey guys, look who's cool now and then I would blast away like playing Metallica really loud. Is that is that cool?
0: Yeah, and that totally sounds like who you are and today. It's really,
1: yeah, it's true to true to me. Yeah, you'd really cool. be
0: catching them up on what you've become.
1: Yeah, I don't want to like drive up in my 2012 Hyundai Accent hatchback like with that's...
0: with phones falling out of your pockets. Yeah, like, like
1: oh hey hey guys, <laughs> I'm like I was before, except with even more phones. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I didn't go to my five year, and I will probably not go to my ten year. Cause what
1: even is the point of a five year
0: anyway? I, well, we all went. We went to our five year college reunion.
1: Yeah, but that's just cause college you make real friends and you want to go party with them. <laughs> <laughs> five year high school reunion, you just go and we're like, I just saw you. Like we're we're just out of college. None of us have done anything yet. Okay, see you. See you in five years. Yeah.
0: Well, and and. It's not even at like a real place. It's at a bar. It's at like a sports yeah, bar. No,
1: somebody definitely got drunk and did this. This is not a school sanctioned event.
0: <laughs> so if anyone from my high school class is listening and is upset about the blast on which I am putting them, uh you can reach out. We'll we'll chat. We'll reconnect. Uh not me. Or just, you know, let me know that I'm wrong and that I'm missing a great party at Box and Hound. Don't talk to, to me. me. I
1: don't want to talk to people I went to high school with. I definitely don't want to talk to people Craig went to high school with.
0: <laughs> I think you've met maybe one person I've gone to high school with.
1: Maybe you like trying to think just fine. who I've who I've met of your friends that I hate the most.
0: <laughs> oh man, you're full of vitriol today. This is gonna be a good <laughs> one. Yeah. So each week on the show, we don't just talk about high school reunions. We talk about books. Uh, presumably books that we haven't read before, and maybe books that we should have read by now.
1: And that's the segue that leads me to ask you what you read this week.
0: Ah, see, you're picking up what I'm putting down. Yeah. I read <laughs> Animal Farm by George
1: Orwell. And this, of course, is the novelization of the hit song, Old MacDonald Had a Farm.
0: Yes, um, including the part where they drove out the oppressive Old MacDonald from his farm, mm-hmm. and then the animals took over, E-I-E-I-O, mm-hmm. and on that farm, they established their own government.
1: Okay, E-I-E-I-O.
0: <laughs> and then that government turned totally corrupt and terrible, E-I-E-I-O. <laughs> okay. And a powerful pig there and a powerful pig here. Here, there, everywhere, a powerful pig,
1: and also a horse made into glue. Oh,
0: <laughs> that was a you're good episode, a horse. I they're a horse. <laughs> now job. there ain't no horses no
1: more. Everybody try to be happy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, we skipped to the end of the show real
1: fast. <laughs> so you, All right. that George mean... Orwell, Animal Farm. This, of course, is a. I I read it. I think in like seventh or eighth grade.
0: Yeah, I was talking to my sister about this. She was, she was like, "Why haven't you read Animal Farm?" And I was like, "It's not on that list of books that I was assigned, but didn't read, which we've already covered on the show." Yeah,
1: that's that happened a lot.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know how I made it to where I am today, but <laughs> uh, Animal Farm is not on that list. I don't know how that happened. We did read Lord of the Flies and Fahrenheit Four Hundred and Fifty One, sure. so maybe they figured we were dystopianed out and did not assign us Animal Farm. I'm not this sure. M-
1: this may have been one of the books that I read. In um in seventh and eighth grade, we had this thing called the Accelerated Reader Program.
0: Sounds great. Did you have to, like, if you read enough books, did you get a pizza from Pizza Hut? Is that what that, that was? was?
1: That was younger. That was the Book It program. Oh, okay. um, for the Accelerated Reader thing, you know, you have to read enough books and then take quizzes on the computer, and based on how many points you get right you get a pizza or how many questions you get right you get points and you're supposed to get like 25 points a semester or something and i just made it my business to see how many points i could get (laughs) (laughs) so i think animal farm was a book that i read in service of getting points and actually to this day i am still mad that one of the questions for return of the king the last lord of the rings book Mm -hmm. they asked what what mountain frodo had to throw the ring into And there were two. One answer was Mount Doom, and then the other answer was the Elvish name for the same mountain. Oh, stop it! Said the Elvish name, and the test said that I got it wrong. So, still mad about it. In case you can't tell, that's like in
0: first grade when uh, I got every word right on every spelling test all year, except for the one where like I erased a letter weird, and so it looked wrong. Come on now, grudges. Let's not drop them.
1: (laughs) So you'd never read this book before. Had you read anything by George Orwell before?
0: I have read the first three chapters of 1984 probably twice. Okay. I've seen a stage. How many
1: chapters total are in 1984? You know, probably at least 15. (laughs) Okay,
0: cool. Uh, I've seen a stage production of 1984, so I know the whole story. I guess. Okay. <laughs> I know about Double Think and Thought Police and Newspeak, and Room 101 and Big Brother. <laughs> I know about those things.
1: So you would say that Orwell's work is often a political commentary. Is that what you're trying to tell me? That's
0: what I would say. There and is a thing. We do toss around that word Orwellian a lot, Andrew.
1: Okay. Is that like Kafkaesque? It is kind of like
0: Kafkaesque, except it's easier to define. <laughs> um, it is an adjective describing the situation, idea, or societal condition that George Orwell identified as being destructive to the welfare of a free and open society. Um, and there's a bunch of different things that fall, in, fall under that, uh, but it's largely related to, the, to his two most famous works, 1984 and Animal Farm. Um, Things like a big brother, like a government that in, that invades your privacy. Um, this idea of double think where you are forced to like hold two contradictory ideas at once. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Newspeak is sort of is from 1984 where like the government kind of creates words that either have a nonsense meaning or like deprive words of their original meaning to kind of control language um and then there's two things that are that are really important in animal farm which we'll get to which are the revision of history in favor of the state mm-hmm. um and the adoration of state leaders and their party which are are really huge parts of animal farm
1: yeah um, this, this is the kind of thing where if you think very hard about it it's easy to get really bummed out <laughs>
0: Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm, there's mm-hmm. a lot
1: of that stuff that happens just in our day to day political life here in the here in the U.S. Anyway,
0: yeah, and we we'll talk about Orwell generally in just a second, but I think it's worth noting that uh, it was hard for Orwell to get this book published initially, right? And I think there was some trepidation because of how explicitly it was describing the rise of Soviet Russia, mm-hmm. and I think there was actually one publisher who said if it were only a little more general then it would be easier (laughs) to publish like if it weren't so specific but i think that actually makes it a better story um being more specific and i and i honestly i'm not you know i i took ap euro like i I know (laughs) that there were bolsheviks come on but hey come on this is a
1: clean show could you not
0: (laughs) hey now what'd you
1: call me could you Cut out the cussing,
0: <laughs> you Bolshevik. Um, <laughs> but I don't, you know, always recall the ins and outs of the rise of Stalin and all that stuff. So when I was reading this, there were a lot of more contemporary resonances uh, than I than I think Orwell's initial audience obviously would have seen. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, the 60 the odd years or so
1: and we'll get to orwell a little bit more in a minute but yeah i think the the publication history of this book is one of the more interesting things about it like its a road to publication because he's you know he's writing it and he's shopping it around in the early 40s yes correct which is you know it's it's the closing years of world war 2 um russia is uh, an ally of uh the united states and great britain and, you know, because nobody wants this this alliance to be threatened because they all kind of need each other, like nobody wants to goad Russia unnecessarily by publishing this Orwell book. But then, right, you know, after World War II ends, things flip and we get into the Cold War so fast that it made this book more infamous and more influential and more important than it might otherwise have been cuz it like yes. it was already it was like already made it was already sitting there it was already critical of a lot of the things that the west was critical of in russia <laughs> and, oh know, yeah. it, was, it was the right it was eventually it was the right book for the right time after being the wrong book for the wrong time for a while
0: <laughs> yeah and and because it it came out of i think orwell's dislike of the fact that Great Britain was allying itself with this country that was, you know, perverting the communist slash somewhat socialist ideals that Orwell uh, initially held. Um, So we should probably talk about that. But I think that that's where some of the anger behind the book comes from, is that like his home country, Great Britain, was allying with Russia um, or the Soviet Union and that did not sit well with him obviously and then like you said right as soon as the alliance was over and we were divvying up countries based on who won what part of the war i guess um and enter right into cold war which is a term that some people actually credit orwell with which i don't think he came up with it initially but he definitely popularized it for some audiences um then yeah, it this book it, this book reads real great for someone who hates those commies,
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. as well. You should, jeez, if you're a real American, tell oh me more God. about uh, George Orwell or as oh. he was born Eric Arthur Blair. I was gonna say that part. Um, he was born I in 19... already said it. He was born Just in 1903.
0: Deal with it. He was born in <laughs> British India actually. So not in the British Isles. And then he uh, moved back to Oxfordshire uh, when he was maybe like two or three years old. Uh, Grew up in England. uh, And then he actually moved to Burma in the late 20s and worked as part of the Imperial Police. Um, He wanted to become a writer so he eventually moved back but while he was in burma there's a quote from him that says you know like something being in service of the empire he realized that even his home you know even his homeland was capable of oppressing people Mm -hmm. you know by being in a far-flung country and witnessing you know the last vestiges of the british empire um potentially subjugating you know populations across the world um not always subjugating, but you could read it as such. Mm-hmm. Um I think that kind of gave him a little bit of clarity on where he came from. Uh he flipped back and forth from Paris and England uh once or twice. Uh started teaching in the early thirties. I one of the things I don't know if you saw this in, in reading anything about him at all, he always seemed to be sick. Like
1: all the yeah, time he was sick a lot he died of tuberculosis yeah or like complications related to tuberculosis either way mm-hmm.
0: yeah and right and right around that time is when they were deal they were coming up with cures for it um streptomycin i think was the initial cure and he was like trying to get a shipment of it and and even if that did happen he died like lung failure happened like yeah. it was like a blood an artery in his lung burst or something.
1: Yeah, like he's he's almost Poe-like in his in his constant sickness.
0: <laughs> yeah, and and during World War II, he ended up uh not being allowed to serve for a substantial amount of time because he was so frail and when he was in the Spanish Civil War, he moved to Spain um in 1936 to work for the Republican side of the Spanish Civil War. He got shot in the throat, Andrew.
1: <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Did there's you some, see that part? There are some parts of your body where if you get shot, like you wonder how you don't end up dead. It and the throat his... is one of those parts. Oh
0: god, it missed like, his there's so many... by like millimeters. Yeah,
1: like there are so many pipes up in there. The chances that it's gonna hit something important are way more than the chances that it won't. <laughs> so many pipes. <laughs> I believe that's the medical term.
0: All up in those pipes. Yeah. Uh so he <laughs> while he was over there before he got throat shot, uh <laughs> he hooked up with some early Marxist groups, um, early communist parties. And I think that ended up to to take a very narrow biographical view without, you know, researching him for months or years, like a real scholar might. Uh, I'll.
1: <laughs> don't tell him that we don't do that I'd like them to assume sh- that we do that <laughs> uh,
0: I'll infer that part of his anger at the USSR was the way that the party in power kind of took advantage of initial Marxist ideals, um, the same things that would lead to a revolution and we'll talk about this how it happens in the book is you see those ideas about everyone being equal and and everyone working as much as they can and no more and, and uh, kind of dissolving a ruling class as best you can and how a ruling class can still emerge from that and how Stalin took advantage of those ideals. And so you, I think yeah. you kind of see in this book, you know, Orwell died when he was, like 47 he did or 46 he didn't make it very long um in terms of some of the other writers that we've covered so i think when he was writing this book he was definitely young enough to have that kind of anger in him um and then he moved he escaped the civil war moved back to britain uh, and that's when he started you know his career as a writer full-time he wrote a lot of reviews wrote various essays um Animal Farm, 1984, and a couple other things. Um, Yeah, I I think that's the main arc of his life.
1: Yeah. There were a couple things about him as I was reading that I thought were interesting. One, just for pure humor value. Like, it doesn't seem to have actually... Like led anywhere in the long term, but um, he had a dinner with H.G. Wells once that descended into an argument because Wells didn't like something that uh, Orwell had written about him. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> I always like when literary figures get together, like especially if they if they start yelling at each other. I think that's particularly good.
0: Yeah, and um, I, that's that's humanizing, right? We we kind of revere, or at least it's sometimes it's hard to think of these figures as people
1: right uh, and then yeah like like orwell and wells both have been canonized at some point and um some degree i mean and you don't think about them so much as people and then you hear about them getting into a shouting match like over sandwiches and <laughs> like all of a sudden <laughs> you know everything's connected
0: <laughs> yeah it all makes sense now <laughs>
1: and then the um the other thing that he is that he requested that no official biography of him be written like that's that's one of the things about orwell is we have a lot about his work but not so much about like his his life and his struggle to create that work and get, to get it published and everything hmm. and um his widow Sonia hmm. brownwell or yeah brownell i'm mean, brownell i think is the way was that his second wife I believe it was his second yeah. wife, yeah. Um and she she, you know, outlived him by a few decades and was, you know, deterring people from writing biographies of him. And then at one point she designated an official biographer, this guy um Malcolm Muggeridge, which sounds like a Harry Potter Whoa, name. Whoa, <laughs> that is a Harry Potter Harry Potter name. Um and some biographers think that she did that on purpose to give him a hard time because he eventually abandoned the idea of doing an Orwell biography. So, oh, okay. They they people people think that she did that on purpose to to deter other biographers from trying cuz like, oh, I already have this official bi- biographer, but then on the other hand, making it so hard for him to gather the information that he needed that he could not actually do the work that he had been appointed to do. That's so. some really
0: <laughs> slick stuff. That's really impressive. Good good
1: play, Sonia. Yeah. So, uh that's, that's Orwell, I guess. I mean, do you I, di- I didn't see do you know um at what point and why his name changed?
0: No, I couldn't find that actually. It just that it it changed. I, I really wish one of us had found. It. <laughs> Me too. Uh so you're going to try and find it right now. I don't know yes. if I can vamp over all of the searching. But we'll see. Maybe you can. Yeah, just like Mm, probably not.
1: Yeah, I think it's just his pen name. But I don't know why. I don't think it's. I don't think it's anything. I think she just had a pen name. Like if my pen name was like cool, cool, awesome, cool guy. Awesome
0: Cool Guy What
1: Yeah That's uh, my first name is Awesome my last name is Cool Guy everybody calls me A Cool Guy Oh my god I hate you <laughs> And I write books that are critical of uh capitalism so
0: <laughs> So that makes sense
1: Yeah And uh everybody calls them calls my books Cool Guyian and the ideas really? that they espouse, yeah, no, they they resonate throughout history.
0: So the first the first reason I can find is that one of his first books was called "Down and Out in Paris and London," where he was describing his life among some lower class folks in both of those countries. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he adopted a pen name so that his parents and middle class friends. Wouldn't find out that he had lived on the street like that. I know okay. that when he was sick in France, he did end up in some rather uh, skeezy hospital scenarios. It's
1: um, <laughs> a good band name, skeezy hospital
0: scenarios. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that might have been. That's one of the purported reasons why he did that. <laughs> I don't. I can't confirm or deny.
1: All right. Well, good. We did our research. So tell me about Animal Farm.
0: Now, you've read this book. I have. But it was a long time ago, as we said. It was. Yes. So imagine a farm ran by a man named- Yeah. Well, there are animals on it, of course. (laughs) But it starts out, it's called Manor Farm. And Mr. Jones owns it, okay? Okay. Mr. Jones. Mr. Jones is kind of a jerk. He gets drunk a lot. He doesn't treat his animals well. He works them really hard, and this really. So he's a true American. Okay. So so this really old pig, named Major, uh, he calls all the animals together like the opening of the Lion King, and (laughs) instead of having a monkey raise a baby lion, he tells them that he has realized. That humans are parasites.
1: Okay. He
0: says that man is the only creature that consumes without producing. He does not give milk. He does not lay eggs. He is too weak to pull the plow. He cannot run fast enough to catch rabbits. Yet he is lord of all the animals. Now I might, I might quibble with Major on a couple of those points. I do not. Well, you eggs. think you run
1: fast enough to catch animals? <laughs> I mean, I
0: I might be able to pull a plow.
1: Yeah, maybe for a little bit.
0: I mean I can't give milk, but I can drink milk.
1: Some people can give milk. I, see I think that's the point. I don't think drinking milk is <laughs> is the same <laughs> as giving it.
0: Okay, fair enough. You're right. siding with major, I understand. Um Everything he,
1: the Sun touches, Wilbur. <laughs> Wait. So so far this is so far this is basically just like the Lion King except pigs.
0: So it's, yeah, it's like a mix. So far, it's just a mix of Charlotte's Web and the Lion King. Okay. Okay. And (laughs) So Major starts telling all the animals, he starts calling them Comrade. Okay. All right. And they decide that all animals, anything that goes on four legs or has wings is a friend. And that man is bad. And we have to conquer him. Um, I'm on board and he sets forth sets forth the tenets of what later becomes uh referred to as animalism okay um so all the animals agree that they're going to you know throw off their shackles um kind of in honor of their leader major mm-hmm. and he sings them this song called the beasts of england okay um <laughs> And it's about how they're going to, you know.
1: I think that's a Ramones song.
0: <laughs> there were three chords. It says so in the book. <laughs> uh, that they're going to break free of their labor. And, and you know, they're going to toil for freedom. And then they will reach their golden future. And all the animals learn it and they sing it. And uh it just wakes up Mr. Jones who gets really mad. Uh, who shoots a gun at the farm. At, the, at like, the barn at that the they're farm. all in. Okay. And uh, they all get scared. But then the next day, jo- uh, a couple days later, actually, Major passes away because he's an old pig. And they all revere him. And so uh, the two other pigs, Napoleon and Snowball, decide to take up the tenets of animalism.
1: Okay. okay. And are they pals at this point?
0: They are pals at this point. They, okay. they quibble over basically everything. On any given point, they argue mm-hmm. uh, on like policy, basically. Sure, but they agree that yo, we gotta get rid of Mr. Jones, okay? And so Mr. Jones comes home drunk one day, forgets to feed all the animals, and the animals all say, "F this s, we're done."
1: <laughs> what if he'd remember to feed them? What if they he remembered to feed them? That no, was the, what
0: happened. That was the the straw that broke all the animals on the farm's back, Andrew. That's what happened. Okay. All right so they run them out and they decide that uh the animals the the farm is now called animal farm okay
1: oh like the book
0: like the name of the book
1: oh man it's all coming together now
0: and they come up with the seven commandments of animalism mhm whatever goes upon two legs is an enemy whatever goes upon four legs or has wings is a friend no animal shall wear clothes no animal shall sleep in a bed oddly specific no animal shall drink alcohol No animal shall kill any other animal, and all animals are equal. All right? Imagine if one of those
1: dogs in those little dog vests walked on the animal farm. Like, would they all kill him?
0: (laughs) They'd get really upset. Actually, there's this horse named Molly who says immediately to Snowball, I think, she goes, well, can I still wear ribbons in my hair? And Snowball's like, no, those are the signs of your slavery. You have to get rid of them. Okay. Okay. Uh, my, blah, uh, I almost threw my phone on the floor. Sorry. What? Um, why are
1: you doing with your phone?
0: No, I just I moved my hand. It was really weird. Oh, okay. um, cool. That's good radio. Sorry, that's, I don't know if I'll edit that out. I might not find it later. <laughs> um. So later in the book, Molly ends up leaving the farm and you know going back into service for humankind. Because
1: um, Cause she, she missed ribbons that much.
0: Basically, she couldn't handle her freedom. That's.
1: Uh, that's. See, I'm getting bummed out already because that's that's a commentary on how little we will give up our freedom for. Uh huh. Uh huh. Okay, Get ready right. for it.
0: Well, keep going. So all the animals start working the farm. Right. They still need to have food, and they still need, you know, the crops. Um. So they all kind of work together to plant the crops and and harvest them as best they can, and everyone is working according to his capacity, which is a line that. Orwell says a number of times, which to me okay. rings real close to like my ninth grade social studies class <laughs> Did about you the,
1: work to your capacity in that. No, class no, it's
0: the, <laughs> I didn't actually. Um, <laughs> but the difference between like capitalism and socialism and communism, right? It's like everyone, everyone, I don't, I don't remember all the lines, but it's like you, you receive a certain amount and you work a certain amount. You know, to each, according to his need ability. Or, uh, yeah, to each thank you, from each according to his ability, to each according to his need, or something like that,
1: yeah, and it's it's I think of socialism, communism, I guess, is like a a big society wide version of the honor system, <laughs> where if everybody does what they're supposed to do, it works great, yes, but, but... everybody's terrible, and so it doesn't it doesn't work out that way.
0: Uh, so the animals start learning how to read, okay? Because that just can happen, I guess.
1: Right? Yeah, Uh, my cat can read. Yeah, yeah. At a third grade level. (laughs) He likes green eggs and ham.
0: Okay. Uh, They start learning to read. (laughs) Go to your cat's Wikipedia page and see. Um the sheep start learning this maxim four legs good two legs bad uh which whenever there's like a big bad. debate bad uh whenever there's like a a big debate between napoleon and snowball uh the sheep will just start like bleeding it to like drown out whoever they're not siding with mm-hmm. that doesn't sound like congress or anything no uh, who do they
1: do they usually side with anybody or is it just like whenever
0: i they tend to side with snowball okay um so this is going okay you know the the farm's going just fine um at one point jones comes back and brings a bunch of men with him and some guns and they end up defeating the men in what they end up calling the battle of cow's shed which is pretty great okay. um, Couple a couple a shots like wound snowball um and this big horse boxer uh whose whose motto is i will work harder um he like kicks a bunch of dudes in the face it's pretty great awesome so so at this point they're like they're singing their beast of england song they've come up with a flag um
1: they're all flag
0: i i think it oh what is on the flag
1: I know it's on the flag, actually. It's, what is uh, on the flag, it's, Andrew? It's the horn and the hoof.
0: Oh yeah, it's a horn and a hoof. Thank you.
1: And it's you know it's it's intended to resemble the uh, the hammer and sickle.
0: Thanks for that. Yeah, Thanks for yeah, that, George Orwell.
1: I'm just I'm
0: just saying. So, eventually, Napoleon and Snowball end up in a great conflict. Snowball suggests that they build a windmill. And he goes on at length about how this windmill, which he doesn't really seem to know how to build, will relieve them of all their labor through, like, electricity.
1: Okay, Don Quixote.
0: Basically. And at one point, I thought it was really funny, Napoleon pees on all of his plans for the windmill. (laughs) This is pretty great. Because, you know, he's a Painter did
1: to to Obama's health (laughs) care. Um. Ugh, man, so, life mutates art, am I right?
0: Yeah, I know, right? Uh. So this conflict comes to a head. Snowball makes an impassioned defense of his plans for the windmill. And Napoleon shows up with a bunch of dogs that he'd been raising since they were puppies. And the dogs mm-hmm. attack Snowball and drive him off the farm. Okay. And then Napoleon assumes like leadership of the farm gets rid of the Sunday like democratic meetings and just says that now a committee of pigs will decide what's best for everyone on the farm.
1: But I thought that and, all animals were equal
0: well, they are, but the pigs are the cleverest of the animals okay and, and if you know you're a cow, Andrew you might not you might not know what's best for you, so let the pigs think about it, okay. Okay. You just you just Sounds go work good. in the you just go work in the fields. But you know how we said that Snowball's windmill was dumb?
1: Yeah, it's dumb.
0: We're going to build it anyway cuz it's a good Plans
1: idea. Plants have pee all over them. It's, it's it's no good.
0: No, it's no no, it's now it's Napoleon's idea.
1: So oh, Okay. So, so he's we're gonna like my really old boss.
0: <laughs> yeah. So Napoleon is taking credit for the windmill idea, um saying that Snowbill, Snowball didn't know how to do it in the first place. Um Also, now there's this pig called Squealer, which is a great name, who goes around basically rewriting history. Uh, At one point, he tells all the animals that Snowball didn't actually fight valiantly in the Battle of Cowshed, and he actually was working with Mr. Jones the whole time. Um, And he slowly starts rewriting all of the commandments as the pigs kind of become more and more uh, corrupt. So at one point, all the pigs get drunk, and then they wake up, and the commandments have been edited so that no animal shall drink alcohol, comma, to excess. <laughs> <laughs> and because not all the animals can read as well as the pigs, they're all like, wait a second, I thought it, nah, I guess you're right, I guess. Like, Squealer's really good at like convincing them that what they remember is incorrect. Okay. Uh, So, at one point, the windmill gets destroyed by like a storm, and Napoleon blames Snowball, and says that it was Snowball the whole time. And Snowball becomes he controls the weather. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, and Snowball becomes the scapegoat for every bad thing that happens on the farm. Scape pig, come on! Oh my god, um, ah, jeez. So then these animals start confessing to crimes that they claim were caused by snowball and napoleon's dogs just start killing them there's like this huge like war like fake war crime trial and all these animals get killed Mm -hmm. uh and then they build the windmill again and then some humans show up to try and take the windmill and they blow it up with a bunch of you know blasting caps and the animals fend them off And they're all singing the Beast of England to celebrate their victory. And Napoleon says, We're not allowed to sing that song anymore. That was the song of the rebellion. We are not rebels anymore. We're in charge. So your song's been outlawed. And so, slowly but surely, the rebellion is kind of being twisted away from the animals as they Mm -hmm. work on their farm. Um, Boxer the horse, as you alluded to earlier, does not meet a good end. He works himself nearly to death. And then uh, Napoleon sells him to a glue man for whiskey what is, money.
1: What does he say? <laughs> man, if I... Ha- oh, man. All the animals that I've sent, that I've sold for whiskey, it, this is really hitting home for me right now. <laughs> what, is, what does he tell the animals that Boxer's really doing?
0: That he is, like, sending him to a veterinary doctor. Okay. Um, and meanwhile, this whole time... Napoleon has actually been, like, trading goods with humans, even though initially the principles of animalism kind of dictated that we would, you know, we the animals would never talk to humans or, or deal with them because they're untrustworthy. Uh, and then the book ends not long after the pigs all teach each other to walk. Okay. And show up wearing human clothes, carrying whips.
1: Okay. Okay. I don't know how a Pig can do that like if they all grew thumbs or or what kind of whips these are but fine I'm they're, I'm on board.
0: They're holding whips in their trotter. I don't that's that's the word that Orwell uses. I guess that's their like front hoof or something. Okay. Um and then it, it just kind of ends with the pigs being people and the animals are right back where they started except the pigs are in charge.
1: Doesn't it, as I recall it ends with the animals looking at the pigs and the humans like partying together and they realize that they can't tell the difference anymore
0: yes that the pigs invite a bunch of other humans over and the humans are like wow this farm's really impressive you really like got these animals in order and the pig's like yep we're not going to call it animal farm anymore we're going to change the name back to manor farm and you know what we're not going to let the the animals call each other comrade anymore that's dumb and this is pretty great so we're going to be friends forever right humans and the humans are like sure and then they play like a game of poker together mm-hmm. and two of them play an ace of spades at the same time so obviously okay. someone was cheating and they get or in this big fight the and deck all they- was
1: misprinted
0: yeah it's totally what it was yeah um,
1: never attribute to malice what can be attributed to incompetence <laughs>
0: Uh, and so then the animals are like peering into the window at the at the brouhaha and they you like you said they can't tell which is which. Um, so animalism has been completely perverted by the pigs and they are now no better than humans and animal farm is worse off than it was when it
1: started I guess. So let's run down the roster here. Yes. Um uh major the old pig who comes up with these ideas in the first place is karl marx yeah
0: he's he's like half marx half lenin um there's a detail where John major Lennon? yes
1: okay that's a weird combination but i'm going to i'm going to stick with orwell he on
0: major imagines a lot of things okay get it
1: <laughs> yeah i get it like that song imagine
0: no, it's 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 not Vladimir Lenin, is it? What's Lenin's first name? It's Vladimir Putin.
1: It is Yeah, it's Vladimir Lenin.
0: All right, cool. Yeah. Um he's also part Lenin because they display his skull after he dies, mm-hmm. not unlike Lenin's body has been like entombed and displayed publicly. Okay. Um so he's like the instigator of all this stuff, right? Okay. Napoleon. Nepal- so, yeah.
1: And yep. okay. So Snowball is who? Because he's Trotsky. he seems okay. Because he seems more in line with Major's ideas. Mm-hmm. Major mm-hmm. slash Karl Marx slash Lenin. So he's Trotsky. Yes.
0: yes. Right. Um And Trotsky is he's a big talker, or you know Snowball he's a big talker and he. You know, has lots of persuasive arguments, but he ends up getting exiled because he doesn't have the muscle behind him.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And Napoleon is Stalin. He has the muscle, not much of a talker, but he takes over everything. Um, I think Squealer is a guy called Molotov, who I think worked for okay. for Stalin. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of the propaganda mouthpiece. And then... You're you're slowly running out of one to one corollaries, but uh, Mr. Jones is like Czar Nicholas II, you know. He was the leader in charge before everything happened. Right. Um, this farmer named Mr. Frederick, who is one of the ones that Napoleon has like a trade agreement with, is Hitler. Um, they you know have a an agreement, and then Frederick breaks it and tries to invade the farm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like Hitler. So, because Hitler wanted those wanted those farms
1: mm-hmm. in Russia. He did like Russian farms. Um, <laughs> but then there there are other more general comparisons. After that, like a boxer, the horse who wants to work all the time is the, you know, kind of the the good worker person who's supposed to make this whole system work, and the cheap are the people who just kind of repeat back whatever line is fed to them by whatever party happens to be in power.
0: Yeah, there's a um there's a and of course raven. the horse with
1: the ribbons is the is the horse that will give up her freedom for tree old stuff.
0: Yeah, there's a raven called Moses. Okay. Um who likes to tell who is like his name is Moses, so he uh he's the bastion of religion. Um, And Mm -hmm. he likes, initially in the book, before the revolution, before the rebellion, uh, he is telling all the animals about Sugar Candy Mountain, which is where all the animals go when they die, theoretically, that there's, like, a better life ahead of them. Mm -hmm. And initially, Napoleon and Snowball kind of dismiss Moses so that the animals don't lose sight of the rebellion. And then later on in the book, Napoleon lets Moses kind of come back and stay Almost as a way to let the animals uh, latch on to that belief to deal with their current situation. Right. Yeah. Um, and the animals start to think like, well, we work really hard all the time, so why wouldn't we be rewarded with, wouldn't it be fair mm-hmm. to be rewarded with Sugar Candy Mountain? Um, Going and back I think to the a...
1: idea of of religion as the opiate of the masses or, or yeah. whatever that belief is,
0: yeah, and so there's there's a corollary there, in, in terms of Stalin kind of co-opting the Orthodox Church,
1: right? Um, and, I, and I don't I don't want to get into like passing judgment on on religious people, but I'm just saying no. that that is that is that is what Orwell is intending to say here. I think. well, it, is yeah, that, and.
0: Orwell was Is not that some
1: some some cynical governments, I guess, like use religion as a way to distract the people, you know, distract the governed from whatever real life hardships they are currently facing.
0: Yeah, and, and Orwell, I think, was not unreligious. Um, he was, a, I think, he was a practicing Anglican um, mm-hmm. and was buried according to certain specific rites. So I think that. And if anything, it's not it's not even that kind of callous, like, how could these people be manipulated with religion? Like he was a religious guy who saw a government using it perversely.
1: Uh, Right. And, you know, much like anything can be used perversely in the wrong hands, you know? Yes. It's not it's not a specific thing about religion so much as it is about human nature.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I'm glad that we kind of went through the, the roster because for me, like reading it, it's. Yes, there are obvious comparisons to what Orwell was writing about, because he was trying to kind of create an allegory for the Russian Revolution. But there's mm-hmm. so many things that are just kind of nefarious government practice anyway that don't have to be specific to that. Like all of the stuff that Squealer does throughout the book where, you know, the animals get a little upset that Napoleon is, you know, trading money with humans. And then at one point, Squealer says, well, guys, the the resolution against trade and using money was never passed. It was an imagination that you got. It's all, <laughs> it's all in your head. It was just Snowball telling lies. You know, there's all sorts of things like that that Snowball does throughout the book. And every once in a while, whenever he you almost loses. Ex- yes, excuse me, S- Squealer. Um, yeah. And whenever he almost loses them, he always goes back to, surely none of you wishes to see Jones back. And
1: mm-hmm. all the
0: animals are like, I, you're right, I guess not. Like, it gets to a point where they, they can't even quite remember how bad it was, but they're all fairly certain that it was bad.
1: Right, yeah. Like, you go back to this this point where the memory of, like, I don't know, like, they, they know that that is bad. But they can't judge their current circumstances as much like like nobody's telling them that their current circumstances are bad. So they're having a harder time convincing themselves that it's bad.
0: Yes. Yes. There's also this moment. There's also this like moment where it's oh my God. It's absolutely ridiculous. When Squealer first tells them all that Snowball was actually in league with Jones the whole time. Right. The exact quote is. It has all been proved by documents which he left behind him and which we have only just discovered. <laughs> like the the convenience of so many things throughout the book the, the animals are just dumb enough unfortunately to believe all of it. Like there's even one point where they catch Squealer in the room where the animal commandments have been written on the wall and he's like fallen off a ladder with a can of paint in his like p- trotter or whatever you call it um mm-hmm. and then just like ho, mom ho hum you know I, I guess yeah i guess that was fu- that was weird
1: yeah and then that that's i guess it goes back to i don't know there's a lot of commentary on on human nature here you know of course delivered through animals but um like I don't know people. People like to rationalize stuff. Like people, people like to. Fig, people like to believe whatever they need to believe to like not do anything a lot of the time because doing stuff is hard.
0: Yes, doing it really stuff is, is work.
1: And you, you well, like put your neck out there, and you might be wrong, or you might get killed, or whatever. Like. Yeah, I don't know. It it's it's hard to go against the status quo, and then you have all these pigs who are in char- layer like stewards of the status quo and they keep shifting what it is and, and what it means.
0: And, and yeah. it, it's very precarious. That's really yeah, and it's very precarious to question the status quo. And I, I think that's kind of what uh Orwell's kind of formulating here because these animals are the only ones who've done this that initially major talks about kind of this initial rebellion causing similar rebellions at a whole bunch of other farms. And that just doesn't Mm -hmm. happen. Definitely other farms hear about it. And, and the humans are obviously concerned that this might happen, but it never takes place. So there's this kind of, the pigs are in this very particular position where they can keep saying, well, like we're the only ones doing this. So don't ruin it. Like, like, we're, we're stewarding your movement and your freedom. Um, so if you were, if you were ever to go against it, like if you were a horse or a cow or whatever, you're undermining the whole operation, um, which is this really precarious position. And I think there is a direct corollary there because there are only so many, you know, the USSR was like a singular thing. Like there every communist state that's been an actual communist state has been its own weird like experiment it's not right. like a it's not like a very specific doctrine ever took hold you know
1: mhm
0: so i don't know it's it's i will say like it's it's an effective piece of writing there are like moments that happen that he moves into them very easily it's you know it's kind of almost written I think the original subtitle was what a fairy story or a fairy tale, what was it?
1: A fairy story. A fairy story, yeah.
0: And so it has a very sim, a very nice simplicity to its structure and its language, uh, that leads things to kind of be surprising. Like when the windmill first got destroyed, like I kind of gasped. Like and it's when the same thing happened when Boxer is taken away. There's this really dramatic, heartbreaking scene where he's in the back of the van and the other animals are saying like boxer you we the donkey read the side of the van he knows you're going to be turned into glue you got to get out of there mm-hmm. and he like he can't cuz he's so tired and and hurt um
1: and well, there's, but, just, and there's like, so many instances where you're like okay these animals like have to realize what's going on and then they're lulled back into their complacency yes by the pigs and 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 um, next week, you know, we've, we've had, last week we put out some, we asked people what they wanted to hear next week. And we got a couple Lolitas, a couple of Handmaid's Tales. I'm not done with Lolita yet, so I'm going to read the Handmaid's Tale. But, um, like, there are a lot of similar moments in that. Because I think Margaret Atwood is making some similar commentary on, like, our propensity for, like, being complacent or, like, going along with whatever people in charge tell us mm. just because doing, doing otherwise is really risky and really hard to, hard to do. Like, and not like it by, by disagreeing with the narrative, you put your neck out there and you hope that other people disagree with you because otherwise you are just one person and you're going to get singled out and punished for it.
0: Yeah. And, and you can, you can even see some of the animals like as they consider that, they're still consumed with the actual work it takes to stay alive. Right. Like there's yeah. almost no there's almost no time to have a second uprising because they have to work so hard just to stick around. Mm-hmm. you know. Um, I do want to say that one of the funniest things that I found in the book um, is where the, when the pigs start drinking for the first time. Because eventually the pigs move into the farmhouse, which they said no animal would ever do. Mm -hmm. And uh, they find some whiskey and start drinking it. And Squealer comes out and tells all the animals that that Napoleon is dying. Oh, no. And everyone gets all upset. And Squealer says that as his last act upon Earth, comrade Napoleon had pronounced a solemn decree... The drinking of alcohol was to be punished by death. <laughs> <laughs> and then in a few days' time, Napoleon is fine. I th- That's like, very
1: college. Like, oh, God, I'm never drinking again. <laughs> I can't drink again.
0: If you let me have another Natty Light, I will kill you.
1: I don't want anybody to feel this way. <laughs> How do they not
0: just burn all the alcohol ever? Ugh. Is pretty. I just found that really funny. Um, yeah, that's pretty good. Because you initially like the way the book is being told. You like that might be what's happening, but you you also don't know if just on a dime Orwell's gonna kill Napoleon and something worse is gonna happen next. Sure, um, yeah. But I thought that was really funny. An odd moment of humor in in this book. Yeah. Um. And then as as we're running out of time, I'll just leave people with the like ultimate message of the book and, and how things get perverted like that final commandment of animalism right is mm-hmm. all animals are equal so all the an all the commandments get erased and they're replaced with just one at the end of the book all animals are equal except some some animals are more equal than others bing bang all boom right. welcome to animal farm
1: if you're more equal than us, you can send us an email at overduepod at gmail.com. Uh, you can also contact us at our Twitter account at twitter.com slash overduepod or our Facebook page at facebook.com slash overduepod. We do try to keep up with those things and and favorite and retweet and like posts, you know, as appropriate.
0: I want to give a shout out to um, uh, Tara who wrote in, wrote an email this week with a bunch of recommendations um including some Philip K Dick which is definitely someone we should cover on the podcast uh as well as Cormac McCarthy um so know that we read those and we really appreciate those um specifically she mentioned you know laughing out loud on the street when we were talking about sexy mummies so great
1: <laughs> There's nothing sexier than the sexy mummy. Uh,
0: if you didn't listen to the sexy mummy episode, you can find it on overduepodcast.com, where we have all of our back episodes, uh, as well as Amazon links to the books themselves. If you'd like to purchase the books, and you know if you heard something interesting, you want to go read, or you want to try and read ahead. If we if we are listing the things that we're reading ahead when we're good. Um, you can do that. Or you can buy toilet paper. I don't know. Just click on the book first and see what happens. You'll support <laughs> us uh, with that kickback to help us buy more books and pay for hosting and all that good stuff. You can also find the link to our iTunes page where you can rate and review us which is a great way to introduce the show to new people as well as the RSS feed if you need to subscribe to it in some sort of RSS reader or something that's not iTunes. I don't know.
1: Oh, we got it. We got another rating. We have 30. Let me, let me see if they left a review and I can read it on air. Woo. It's so good. Uh, Reviews of by most recent. Um, Now we that that rating was just a rating. So thank you. Thank you for doing that. You don't have to leave a review. You can just rate us. We We like it either way. Um. What and else, you're reading what, what we next week? Say? Oh, I'm reading *Handmaid's Tale*, which appropriately enough has been described as Orwellian. So, oh, rock and roll. So, a yeah, like unintentionally thematic. Uh, we we, I don't know what you'll read after that. Um, my next episode after *Handmaid's Tale* will definitely be *Lolita*. Um, we had uh, Amanda Haynes in particular has asked through both Facebook and Twitter. I I admire her like multi front social media battle to get us to talk about lolita i will definitely do that next i'm just not done with it yet because it's still i'm about i'm about halfway done and it's just it's it's hard going because it's gross
0: great well i can't wait to
1: hear more about that i know it's gonna be awesome all right everybody uh we'll be back next monday and until then try to be happy